Nescapades, a chronological journey through the North American Super Nintendo library with a few pit stops along the way. We play them briefly, we judge them harshly, we rank them. That is pretty much all you need to know. I'm Steampunk Link. I'm Emmy Zero. And uh, changing up the, the intro a little bit here because, you know what, uh, we do a lot of these little stops now for various things, and this is one such time that we're going to be doing that because... It is a new month, it is April 1993, and we are going to talk about the issue of Nintendo Power that came out that month. This is a Playing With Power episode. That's right, so April 1993, uh, this is finally the month where Nintendo Power is going to go all in on the Star Fox promotion. As we'll talk about during the course of the episode, I think that this is pretty much them doing as much with Star Fox as it is possible to do in their magazine after... Uh, months of build-up, talking about the Super FX chip, having the comic running to get people excited about the characters. Here we finally have the full spread on the game itself, as well as several other other mentions of it throughout the magazine. So this is really them giving kind of the first, I guess the first really big Nintendo published game of the year it's due here. There's some other interesting stuff in this one as well, but we'll get into all of that as we go. Yes, we will. And uh, before we do any of that, though, we do need to check in, as we like to do when we hit a new month, with our good friend Newsy to find out what was going on in that month in history. So, Newsy, take it away. It's April 1993. Indecent Proposal hits theaters and ends up grossing over $100 million. That's a lot of money. After taking the number one spot from the Aladdin theme song in March, Snow holds on to the number one spot for the entire month of April with his hit, Informer. And in the town of Waco, the FBI launches siege on the compound of a religious cult after a nearly two-month standoff attempting to serve a warrant involving illegal weapons. In the ensuing conflict, the building is burned to the ground, resulting in the deaths of 76 people, including the group's leader, David Koresh. Back to you, Emmy Zero and Steampunk Link! Thank you, Newsy. So, Indecent Proposal, that is a movie I haven't thought about in a very long time. Same here. It was a movie that I think was very heavily memed at the time, or like the the early 90s equivalent of memeing. You know, it got parodied in a lot of places, it got referenced in a lot of places, but I don't really know that anybody actually liked that movie very much. I think it was just like sending tongues wagging sort of sort of concept for a movie. So people liked to like to bring it up a lot. Yeah, it is strange that I mean, that movie, it, it sounds like it made a ton of money, but was pretty critically panned from what I've read about it. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know a whole lot about it other than, I guess, rich dude pays a guy to sleep with his wife or something like that. That's pretty much it, I think. Yeah, uh, Woody Harrelson's in it. Uh, Robert Redford, I think, is... I think Robert Redford is the rich guy in it, and Woody Harrelson is the husband. That would track... Yeah, and who, who plays the wife in that one again? I do not know. I do not remember. And frankly, I didn't even remember that Robert Redford was in it. I just remembered that Woody Harrelson was in it. Demi Moore. Demi Moore was Demi Moore, was okay. Yeah. So all-star cast all around, really. Yeah. I definitely know 
that a lot of people saw this movie. My parents certainly watched it, I remember. I don't think anybody likes it, though. Like, critics certainly didn't. Yeah, I think that it was just one of those things where it's like, oh, man, have you heard about that movie with that concept? Oh, gotta see that one. And then people saw it and they were like, yeah, I guess that was it. Okay. The Simpsons did a whole episode about basically this plot after the movie came out. Simpsons is a weird thing. It's it's a thing that still exists in pop culture. And so like all of these things that have kind of been left behind are like only brought up when you go back and watch something like The Simpsons. It's like, oh, yeah, they, they do an indecent proposal thing here. I am just now remembering that that movie even existed. Yeah, it's really strange, like what gets sort of retained in the collective consciousness and what gets left behind, despite how popular it might be for a time. There's definitely some Simpsons things where like the Simpsons episode parodying the thing has lasted in the pop culture, uh, like kind of mind space a lot better than the thing it was parodying. Like, for example, the uh, the Cape Fear episode, probably one of like the most beloved Sideshow Bob episodes. That's a parody of a movie. But who remembers that? Speaking of things that we've all forgotten about, Snow had his one big hit here. Uh, he sure did. With the, the song Informer. White guy doing reggae, basically. Always a yep, very yeah. tasteful and, and completely non-problematic thing. Yep, totally. This one and, you know, Ice Ice Baby were pretty much what people thought about when they thought about white guys rapping uh, before, like, Eminem came along, I guess. This was a, a weird novelty song, basically. It's a better song. I mean, it's a it's a better song than Ice Ice Baby by a wide margin. I, like, I get the impression that Snow is maybe, like, more thoughtful, at least, in his co-opting of what is mostly black music, black created music. And Yeah. But yeah, it, it's still pretty iffy, and it, it's, it's honestly like something I am just not educated enough about that I feel like I even really want to address. And hey, speaking of things I don't really want to touch with a 10-foot pole, uh, Waco happened this month, or the... the the uh, massacre in Waco. I, I, I mean, do they call it a massacre? Do they like? I'm not sure what the term that gets generally used for what happened in Waco is. Honestly, it was a tragic thing where a bunch of people died in a fire during a standoff between the FBI and uh, a cult. Essentially, the only thing I have to say about that is that uh, my father was actually in the city of Waco when that happened. He was getting a haircut and the radio was on in the barber shop, and he was like, wait, what's happening? <laughs> that's really it. That's I don't have anything else to add there, but uh, that's that's my personal memory related to the Waco thing. Yeah, I um. I mean, luckily for him, this did not actually happen in Waco proper. It happened in like a small community outside of Waco. It, it's kind of like the whole um, Battle of Bunker Hill thing where it didn't actually take place at Bunker Hill. They just they just got the name there. It's like, hey, all right, Bunker Hill, you get it, because who cares about that other hill? We, who even knows what that is? I don't remember what it's called. It's a garbage hill. That's what it is. That's not going to that's not going to play well in the history books. That wraps up uh, all of our history news related stuff i guess and it is time to crack open this magazine although i don't do we want to talk about this cover which uh features Star Fox? oh yeah i think we should talk about the cover this is a real striking use of the Star Fox puppets uh we've got you know a full shot 
of Fox McCloud doing kind of a heroic leg up on a a a rock pose, uh, staring off into the sky. Basically doing the the what, Captain Morgan pose. He is, yeah, he's doing the Captain Morgan pose, where we can see the the like metal feet of, of the puppet, which it was not actually originally supposed to be shown anywhere, but it got weirdly sort of incorporated into the design because they liked to do these sort of full body you know shots of the puppets is this actually the puppets that we're seeing here is this like a drawing where i'm imagining that they use the puppets for reference actually that's a good point because here's the thing the version of the magazine that that i and i assume you also are using for this sort of trip back through history is uh is a scanned version that we have found on the internet archive and unfortunately the quality of the scanning for this issue is not very good so it's kind of very soft looking for me and i guess i just kind of assumed this was the puppets but i think looking at it you're actually right i think this is an illustration that's very very carefully trying to to mimic the look of the puppets we got fox doing his best captain morgan here and in the background we got the other three pilots sort of you know messing with an r-wing it's a really good image i like it a lot once we uh, open that up though we get our table of contents also uh something here we've got the um have you ever flown an r-wing well i mean have you i sure haven't i mean I haven't either. Uh, so, you know, great question, really. Yeah. So um, this is an advertisement for um, a Super Star Fox Weekend or Star Fox Super Weekend. I'm not actually sure how that's supposed to be. Uh, I think it's Star Fox Super Weekend because that's what those cartridges that came out of this are called. That's right. Yeah. These were uh, specially made cartridges just for this competition, which um, speaking of competitions, we're going to talk about another one here in just a little bit. This is a full page ad for uh, essentially a, a Star Fox kind of score attack challenge where you could go to a location and compete against other people to get a high score uh, in in this special competition version of Star Fox and maybe win some prizes, depending on how good you did. Um, so, yeah, so then we move on to the player's pulse, where I guess for some reason, Nintendo Power asked everybody, hey, if you could have your own section in Nintendo Power, what would you get rid of to make room for it? It's mean, but it's kind of a good conversation starter, I guess. Thing is that, like, almost everybody said the George and Rob things, which, uh, you know, happened before we started doing these playing with power segments. Good news for them, those already were taken out of the magazine by this point, because uh, I don't think George and or Rob were still with Nintendo uh, around this time. But yeah, people didn't like them. It seems like kids really hated the idea of people reviewing games and having opinions that they didn't have themselves. Uh, weird. Yeah, they, they, they were real upset about that. And uh, it's it's good to know that we've gotten past that as a culture, uh, that that's not definitely people being angry at reviewers for not sharing their opinion is uh, a thing of the past. We don't deal with that every day in the modern world. Probably most of these were probably written by people who were like, you know, eight or nine years old. So obviously they grew up and matured and now they understand like, oh, hey, sometimes journalists are just telling us the bad news. There's definitely no reason to shoot the messenger or that people with opinion pieces might just have different opinions than ours. Um, there is no such thing as an objective review because that isn't what reviews are. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm glad we are definitely all way more mature now. All these people have different sort of suggestions for what their segment 
would be. Uh, one that I actually do think is kind of cool is uh, Walter Motorcycle Man Coke's one, uh, which is that he would uh, visit uh, a different city in the U.S. and he would like basically just like pick a street travel there and interview everyone on the block who has a Nintendo system and take pictures of their house and stuff. That is actually kind of a cool idea. It is way beyond the scope of what a magazine like this would ever be able to do, but I do kind of like it. I do think it's kind of a neat thing. Yes. Yeah. I will say all these writers had much better ideas for what they would contribute to the magazine than what they would take out. Um, Somebody had something about, you know, like arcade update, probably outside the scope of what Nintendo, of what a magazine released by Nintendo. Nintendo themselves would want to do because a lot of arcade games were made by other companies and, you know, Nintendo had no stake in them, but neat idea. And, you know, at that age, you can kind of see why somebody might confuse a Nintendo centric magazine for a video games at large magazine. So that one was submitted by uh, Min Lee, who also suggests getting rid of Nestor's Adventures, which is a much more correct opinion than uh, than getting rid of George and Rob. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So uh, in Player's Pulse, we also get uh, Battle of the Champions 2, the rematch. Apparently, um, these two kids, um, Jeff Hansen and Yuichi Suyama, Suyama, sorry. I guess this is the second time that they went up against each other in the the Nintendo World Championships. At least that's what it makes it sound like here. Jeff Hansen ended up victorious, but it sounds like they were playing on special cartridges that contained challenges for Super Mario World, F-Zero, and Pilot Wings. I do not know if those are actually out in the wild. They might have been just like some weird, like, because I don't even know how you'd fit like three different games like that on one card for for one thing, but... uh... It's a good question. I don't know. They mention Super Mario World F-Zero and Pilot Wings, which I think luckily none of those would have needed special additional like chips in the cartridge to run. That's true, yeah. So hopefully you could just do a thing where like you could have like a very cut down version of the ROM and and you know have that have those three things all on one cartridge but yeah it's a good question i don't see people talking about these the way they do the star fox super weekend uh cartridges or or some of the other video game competition cartridges The Star Fox stuff starts, and it sure does. Yeah, pretty comprehensive overview of the game. We get kind of like the first stage, I guess, uh, really well mapped out in this isometric mock-up of what the levels would have looked like. Yeah, and we saw this in the preview for Star Fox as well, uh, where they they did some of this in I think last month's issue. Here they do it all the way through for the Corneria level, uh, and they do it for actually all three tracks of the game. That's a big eye-catching feature here. And, you know, they go through and, and highlight some specific things that happen in each version of that level. And then they go on and do kind of little uh, little sort of bite-sized blurbs about each of the other levels in the game. And once again, they do this for, for all three difficulty-level courses of, of Star Fox. So, yeah, this is a pretty uh, pretty comprehensive section, really. A lot of info there. So if you were a Star Fox fan back in the day, you would have been pretty well covered uh 
with this magazine alone. I think this would have been a pretty enticing thing as well. Just be like, ooh, these levels sound cool. I want to see all of them. So, so basically, each of the little blurbs for the different levels has a paragraph with a couple of screenshots sort of describing the kind of concept for that level and maybe pointing out a couple of things that you want to like void or focus on. And then another sort of inset paragraph that is about the boss of that level, which I didn't know the names for some of these bosses, but some of them are pretty good. Uh, there's one called Professor Hanger, which it's like, that's really the name of that thing? All right. Okay. Please, please. Professor Hanger was my father. <laughs> pretty cool feature. Um, you know, a lot of the same photographs that we've seen before in the magazine at this point, but, you know, still... Uh, Still, those puppets are really impressive. We get some good shots of the puppets here, which I'm pretty sure these are actual photos of the puppets. Like, there's one of Slippy holding his, holding his face, which I like a lot. And it ends with a little tease about uh, the Andros battle, which it does not really describe in detail. Andros awaits you, and uh, you're going to fight him. Given how big of a section this is, this isn't like the most striking looking design that Nintendo Power has done for these, but it's pretty good. A lot of times Nintendo Power would just have screenshots, but that's not really possible with this more three-dimensional game. I think what they've done here works pretty well and, and still gives you a good sense of what the levels are going to look like and, and how to maneuver through them. I, I think it's pretty neat. After this, we get a somewhat interesting feature promoting fighting games and also some brawlers, which they just kind of clump together, I guess, that are not Street Fighter 2, because I guess they're really trying to drum up some hype for not Street Fighter 2 games. And honestly, comparing some of them to Street Fighter 2 is, is just kind of mean to those games. They don't hold a candle to it. Um, no. Uh, and they do make it clear at the top here that none of these games are as good as Street Fighter 2. But hey, if you like that one, you should check out some of these as well. So there's five games that are that are sort of detailed here. Each one sort of gets its own page. There, there's like a scorecard, like a, a quick reference thing for each of them uh, at the bottom of the at the bottom of the page that you know, will kind of tell you at a glance what type of game it is, the number of characters, a few other things. And also, uh, it, it has a couple of actual ratings in here, like control rating and rage meter, which they describe as being just how hard does this game rock? And I'm not sure I agree with most of those ratings here. Let's go to the one game that we've already covered on our show. Uh, Doomsday Warrior. Doomsday Warrior gets a a little bit of a breakdown here. The control rating is at a seven and the rage meter is at a six. So I have to assume this is out of a hundred, right? Yeah, right. If this is out of a hundred, then those ratings make sense. If this is out of 10, then uh, I don't know, maybe Nintendo is shilling a little bit too much in an effort to just make more profit. That couldn't be a thing, could it? Perish the thought. Why would? No, Nintendo is the most trustworthy source for <laughs> the uh, the quality of, of the games that they talk about in in their own magazine yeah also maybe worth noting um they've got pictures of new form and grimrock and they have arrows pointing to the wrong pictures for each of them they sure do 
that is not Grimrock the Dizzen Lizard. That is new form. Another thing I noticed here that's kind of interesting is that they do a little bit of a story breakdown for, for each of these games, and they mention here that the the villain uh, of Doomsday Warrior, Maine, they refer to them as an evil enchantress, which I am pretty sure that Maine is coded as male in that game. He just kind of looks like a Bishonen, like, anime guy. Whether to kind of fudge that detail or whether they just didn't realize that, they pretty consistently refer to Maine as female in this. Again, you know, we have the situation where anime just wasn't a huge thing in America around this time. So, like, yeah, the idea of a, of a Bishonen anime is a thing that would have just been completely lost on Americans around that time. Uh, also, the art in this overall section, I I do not think it's great art, but I think it's very funny. They've got these kind of large uh, illustrations of a character from each of these games on the page for that game. And they're all making the same kind of like clenched mouth, angry face. And uh, they've tried to kind of put them all in the same style. And it's not great looking, but I do I do think it's very wonky art. I think it's kind of impressive the way they took all these very different games and tried to take one character from each of them and make them in this style where you, you could almost imagine them all like clashing in some kind of crossover mascot fighter that are all the rage today. I mean, how many fighting games will this like straight up let you play as just like two characters who have nothing to do with that actual franchise? Uh, so this is really off topic, but somebody a few a couple weeks ago was doing like you know, screen caps from fighting games that look like posts. And one of them, one of them was like Negan, like the, the dude with a baseball bat covered in, in barbed wire from, uh, from, from the walking dead versus Noctis from final fantasy 15. <laughs> it's like, yep, that's real. That's really from an actual game that exists. Yep. Yeah. Or it's like Kratos from God of war beat up Freddy Krueger in this uh, Mortal Kombat game, <laughs> or uh, or <laughs> Ninja Turtles beating up Hellboy in the DC Comics game. That's always been one of my favorite ones. <laughs> DC comic characters, uh, Ninja Turtles and Hellboy. Uh, anyway, so getting back to this though, like yeah, I I think it's it was a noble try for trying to bring these characters all you know, kind of make them all in the similar style. I think some of them work better than others. I think the guy from Street Combat looks ridiculous, but they had way less to work with in that game than most of these, visually speaking. And I think they picked the right character from Doomsday Warrior. They've got the uh, the, the Road Warrior-looking guy. Uh, do you recognize Ultimate Fighter at all as a game? I'm not familiar with that one. I don't know a whole lot about this one, though I did do a little bit of research here. First of all, I was just trying to figure out, like, did this game actually come out? Um... It did. I'm not sure when it came out, though. On our list, it has it coming out in June of 1994, which, I mean, you know, we have seen games pop up in this magazine that wouldn't come out for a long time afterward. So, I mean, that's not too unusual. But um, so when I checked on Giant Bomb, though, they specifically listed this game as having come out December 11th, 1992. Oh, that would have been before this. That would have been already out. Huh. Typically, I would just say, because like every, everything else seems to line up with it came out in 94 at some point. But because they had a specific date for it, 
I wonder if maybe that is actually correct. Interesting. I wonder if that was just missed by the source that we're using for our list. I don't know. So I'll have to do a little more research on that one and find out if we actually need to do a makeup for that one and cover it in a more recent episode and instead of waiting until June of 94. I don't know. We'll we'll see. But the rest of these games, though, uh, Street Combat, Fatal Fury and Brawl Brothers are all going to be coming out, I believe, in April of 93, according to our list. So we will be talking about them all soon. Uh, Brawl Brothers is a pseudo sequel to Rival Turf. It's one of the three games in the uh, what is called Rushing Beat series in Japan that kind of had the story whitewashed out of them to the point that there's no longer any connective tissue among them in the localized American versions. So right. Yeah. But I guess this game has a two player fighting game mode, uh, which I don't know if Rival Turf had that or if we just missed it because we haven't been able to play these games co-op. I don't know. That's a good question. Uh, maybe I'll go back and look at that when we get to Brawl Brothers. Um, interesting thing. Fatal Fury, of course, is, you know, big SNK franchise and was one of the progenitors of uh, their King of Fighters series, which is a legit pretty good fighting game series and has, has been pretty long lived at this point. It's still going today. There's there's like a new one in the works. So, yeah. Yeah. So Fatal Fury might be all right. Uh, that'll be interesting to take a look at. Street Combat. Uh, we'll talk about this more when we get to it. But it is a reskinned Ranma game because Ranma was not popular out here yet. And that one, I remember being real janky. I mean, you know, it's a licensed anime uh, fighting game, which is or, or Brawler? Is that one a Brawler? No, this one is a fighting game. Licensed anime fighting game for the Super Nintendo is not often a a really promising description. Even Nintendo Power seems to not be too crazy about this one, giving the control rating a 4 and the rage meter a 3, so... Not rocking that hard, not that fun to play either, in their estimation. Wait, did you say Rocky? No, but that's a good transition. <laughs> talking about Pocky and Rocky next, which uh, I think the art here is just the cover art for the American version of this game. I love it. I love that art. I kind of do, too. It's Americanizing the anime aesthetic of this game, but not like whitewashing the Japanese out of it so much that it's unrecognizable. No, yeah. So I think I think it's pretty good. Uh, there's a really high looking lizard or something in the right side of the image there. And uh, I like him. I like the raccoon, which I assume is Rocky, right? Yeah, I think Pocky is the girl and Rocky is her raccoon friend, but I'm not entirely sure. But yeah, this is a game, a top-down adventure game in which you play as a Japanese priestess girl and her raccoon friend, I believe. And uh, yeah, do some stuff. That one will be interesting to talk about. I do think we are um, coming up on this one pretty soon. It's getting such a big spread in Nintendo Power. You would assume it's coming up relatively soon, but not always the case. But I think in this case, that's true. And yeah, they describe this as sort of like a top-down shooter. We'll see what it's actually like. I'm pretty curious about this. Yeah, I'm kind of looking forward to this. I feel like we've had some folks regard this one pretty highly. I'm optimistic about this one. Me too. And yeah, this multi-page feature on it is sort of the classic Nintendo Power style. We've got screenshots of the the stage laid out end to end to create a a full map of some of the stages. There's little bits of advice on where to find power-ups and the boss strategies and yeah, uh it's it's, you know, uh it, it definitely does its job of of 
continuing to make me excited for the game. One that I'm a little bit glad that we're we're past is uh, Sim Earth, which has a two page brief feature here in the magazine. I, I mean, I was intrigued by Sim Earth, but it is a little bit um, over my head, frankly. This one is like just on like a basic interface level, very hard to kind of get into. I think it's it's hard for me to get my head around what the actual flow of the game is supposed to be. This does an okay job of trying to explain what that actually is. But I, I still think that the explanation here in the magazine is probably more coherent than what you get from just starting up the game and playing it. And I'm not sure that like even with this knowledge, I could go into the game and be like, all right, let's get into it. Let's do it. And I mean, the big Achilles heel of a game like this is that this is originally a PC game. It's just going to play better on a PC. That's what it was built for. I don't know why you would play the Super Nintendo version over the PC version of this unless you just didn't have a computer, in which case I'm hard pressed to think that this would be your kind of jam or like this would be a thing that you would get into um, without having that experience on the computer, you know, having a keyboard mouse and the full feature set of the game. I, I don't know. It's strange. It was it's a strange choice to port things like this to the Super Nintendo. And I don't know if I would say this one works all that well. I I agree. And like, I do think it's also kind of interesting here that they don't really try to use the previous existence of SimCity on the Super Nintendo as a means of selling Sim Earth here. Like, they don't really try to be like, hey, if you liked SimCity, you'll love this. It's a whole planet. There's like a little bit on the bottom of page two about, you know, Sim Earth versus SimCity. That they don't lead with that, though, is is the point I'm trying to make, I guess. It's like, you know, they're not trying to go into this with being like, this is the new SimCity. It's even better, you know, because it's not. It's a very different sort of game. And I think that they are also in a way trying to kind of manage expectations here a little bit. I am... Also a little bit taken by surprise by the art, at least in the next section, which is about Congo's caper. Yeah, they went with an art style here that does not represent the look of this game in the slightest. Uh, they've made Congo this weird, very angry looking man. He's so muscly. He's a muscly caveman with a really scowly face. Yeah, and the character in the game is like this this cute little kid. Like this right. this just doesn't track to me. Again, you know, anime style to this game. Anime was not the mainstream in America, was not a style that kids were looking for in, in animation at the time or you know, were really drawn to. So I guess they decided this makes him look more like an American cartoon character, but I I do not like the look of this guy of this drawing, honestly. I, I think it is really bad. Yeah, it's both an ugly, it's both a bad choice in representing this game, and also it's just, like, not, I, do, I don't think it's good art. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, I don't like it. Um, anyways, as far as Congo's Caper goes, again, I don't think we're too far removed from that game, so we'll talk about it more when we get to it. Um, it's another caveman game, except the cave kid here has a monkey tail for some reason. I don't know if any of that's explained. There's a section here. I, I have not played this game yet, but it does mention that he starts off as a monkey in the game and then you can transform into the like boy mode. Oh, OK. So it's kind of like he's evolving. Yeah, I guess so. So that's that's the whole deal here. I think he's, he's evolving in the Pokemon sense of the word. <laughs> he's evolving in the Pokemon sense in the sense that 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 monkeys are the pre-evolution of, of humanity. That's. 
definitely how that works. And every weird Christian fundamentalist who said I didn't come from monkeys definitely understands evolution. Um, uh-huh, for sure. You know, really, really well. Big brain boys there. <laughs> anyway, moving right along. Yeah, like I said, we'll talk more about that game when we get to it. Uh, we got a poster, Battletoads and oh Double Dragon. Oh, my God, this poster. Oh, Lord, this poster. This one is a mess. It's a terrible poster. It's such such a bad piece of art, and it's so badly put together. It's incredible. This has, like, the chaos of some of the early Nintendo Power posters that I actually really, really like. Uh-huh. But it just has none of the style. Yeah. It is, it, it just, it looks like somebody just drew all these random characters. They're just like, I don't know, put them in the, the poster in a random order. It's just basically, like, me taking assets and trying to create uh, cover art for the podcast. But, like, yeah, right. you know, I'm doing this in five minutes. And this person presumably had, you know, more time than that. But, but yeah, we've got the Battletoads Double Dragon logo right up at the top, which looks extremely CG. Then we've got the two villains who are more or less unrecognizable in profile, talking about how they're going to team up. Then we've got these this really ugly like black and white art of the Lee brothers that looks like it's been sort of colored in. Uh, and they're like, they're hitting a pig man. And then we have this giant amorphous really badly drawn battle toad at the taking up like the bottom quarter of the screen or bottom bottom quarter of the poster and it's uh it's really something there isn't even like a good artistic continuity to this no there's not the toad and the two double dragons just don't look like they belong on the same page and yeah the the profile shots of the villains just look kind of lazy to be honest it, it, this one's pretty disappointing you look at it and you just go like what happened here yeah this one just kind of looks like a rush job and uh hey speaking of disappointing we've got maybe the <laughs> worst nestor's adventure comic yet this is a star fox one and yeah it just sucks like it's it's this is to me this is the low point of what we've covered so far in nestor's adventures like this is a nestor's adventures about star fox that it seems to be going out of its way to not show anything Star Fox related. Nestor just seems like even more of just like a, a, a petulant little jerk here than he usually is. Like even more. Like to his own detriment, just like like almost in, like incompetent to to a point where like, how are you even like surviving this? Well, I mean, the, the way he survives it is he's a cartoon character because he gets flattened like, you know, cartoon style pancake in the last uh, panel there where he... He asks Fox to blow him back up. Yep. Yeah. N- Nestor asks Star Fox to blow him back up. Back up. Back up. The, and also, this is basically the same gag, right? As the the one with like the the fighter jet one from a few issues ago. It kind of is, isn't it? This is almost Garfield levels of recycling your comic here. Yeah, because it's like it's Nestor you know, flying, like, uh, a plane, in this case it's a space plane, doing, like, combat stuff, and people being like, whoa, slow down, you don't know what you're doing. He's like, I know exactly what I'm doing. And then he screws up, and he gets it, and, and he he's in trouble at the end of the comic. So, yeah, like, he, he explodes here, and for some reason there's, like, a dog in a tuxedo, a bull in a dress dress, yeah, and then and a pig with the letter H drawn on it. Yeah, what is that? I don't know. 
and that pig's not like a, 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 a an anthropomorphic pig. It's just a pig. It's just a pig. Like, what's going on here? You know, and when I said this is like Garfield levels of reusing things, that that's a little unfair. They probably at least drew new art for this comic, so I'll give them that. It's just the concept is the exact same, basically. Yeah, and honestly, like this might be some of the laziest art in one of these that we've seen yet. Like, the, it, it's it's pretty bad. It doesn't look good. Yeah. Yeah, guys, the, the the art in this particular issue is a little disappointing. I'm going to say I hate saying it because I, I don't like being like, oh, hey, this is bad art and you're a bad artist. Yeah, I don't like being one of those people, but I don't know. It's, it's just this is rough, though, like just all around. So uh, I guess we've got uh, Super Black Bass next. <laughs> yeah, I have nothing to say about it, honestly. Yeah, fishing games are a thing that I am I am not looking forward to uh, diving into. Like, I'm, I'm going to be real. I love fishing mini games in other games, like in your Zeldas or Yakuza's or that kind of thing. Or your Animal Crossings. Or your Animal Crossing, your Deadly Premonition, you could say. Sure, yeah. But yeah, just the idea of playing like a full fishing game that is just fishing does not exactly thrill me. Maybe I'll love this game when, when we actually play it, but I can't say I have any particular excitement for it. You know, this isn't a super uh, in-depth feature. It's just kind of a couple of pages. It's, you know, just trying to give you a bit of a look at the game and, like, kind of what the different modes are and everything. Yeah, I don't have much else to say about that one. Uh, then we move on to Mech Warrior, which is uh, a game where you're piloting mechs and... You know, I'm looking at the screenshots. It looks like you've got a, a sort of in-cockpit view, uh, maybe kind of similar to Super Battle Tank. But here, instead of being a tank, you're a mech. So it's that's probably cooler. It's cooler, yeah. Now, there's some more kind of story elements to this. This is kind of like a, a you know, far future sci-fi setting. And, you know, there's there's a little bit more going on that's maybe almost a little more like Wing Commander-y between missions of like being able to like kind of talk to other mech pilots and upgrade your upgrade your mech and all that kind of stuff. This is based on like a pen and paper RPG, right? I, th I think Battletech Battletech is the kind of the larger property this is based on. I think it's a pen and paper game, but I think it's also like a miniatures game. Okay. As well. Uh, so, you know, and there's a lot of lore, there's Battletech novels, and there was even, like, I think there was actually, like, a cartoon, like a TV show in the 90s as well. They really tried to kind of, like, push this out as, as a whole franchise back then. But yeah, Mech Warrior uh, is a game that I did play as a kid. I remember thinking it was pretty cool, even though I never really got anywhere in it. Uh, and I did not know it was connected to this larger franchise at the time. So, Yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, and, and also, honestly, this, this doesn't try to draw too much on that larger franchise. It's really just trying to sell you on the concept of this game and what you do in it. And I think this is, honestly, this is probably one of the better features in the magazine this time, uh, just in, in terms of like the amount of detail it goes into about the game and the attempts to sort of bring you into the fiction a little bit. I wish the art in this section once again was better, but in this case, I don't actually think it is the fault of the artists. I think it's just that these mech designs that they've taken from from the, the Battletech people are really unattractive in a unique way that 
tended to be the case for American mech stuff in the 90s. But yeah, it almost looks like they're trying to go for that shiny matte metal look that we've seen in some other um, things in Nintendo Power in the past that I think are pretty cool. But I don't know, for some reason, these just look a little flat and yeah, uninteresting. Um in a way that some of the other stuff didn't. They're just really strange designs, too. Like, it's like you can't really see, like, knee joints in most of the robots very well. So they, they kind of just have this odd sort of blocky shape to them. But there is one one thing in this section here that I, I do think is kind of cool that I did want to mention, which is the mention of Battletech Center that is in kind of a sidebar on the last page of this. Uh, which Battletech Centers are a thing I've only kind of heard about, like, very, very secondhand uh, from hearing other people talk about them on like podcasts and stuff but yeah they were kind of uh you know locations you could go to to play a very sort of immersive mech combat battle tech game that yeah it's kind of neat to see that mentioned here because that absolutely was something else that was going on at the time and uh it's a a nice uh, nintendo power doesn't sometimes doesn't really try to give you a picture of like the wider franchise that some of these things are some of the games it covers are a part of but it's kind of neat to see them do that here yeah like i wonder if they're ever going to do a bigger feature on street combat like if they're going to mention the fact that this comes from a ranma game or i i would imagine they probably wouldn't i wonder if they even knew that themselves or would have known that themselves back then yeah that's a that's a really good question i'm actually super unclear on how much the people writing for this magazine sometimes knew about like the original kind of japanese version of some of those games and then we get some classified information some really strange ones in this one like there's a code for cubert 3 that just lets you cycle through all the backgrounds which i mean admittedly might be one of the cooler aspects of that game so (laughs) <laughs> That's neat. Um, there's a code for SimCity to erase your save data, which is a weird thing to need a code for. But all right, I read that. I read that a couple of times, and I was like, "Really? Uh, am I missing something here? No, I'm not. That's really what this code is for." Okay. Uh, also. Uh, whole page dedicated to Skull Jagger or Skull Jaeger, whatever that's uh, however that's supposed to be pronounced, that uh, show you the locations of some of those weird secret areas. So which, frankly, you need because that game is not very good at at signposting where anything is. So, yeah, uh, we get uh, Avenging Spirit codes for Game Boy, Ninja Boy for Game Boy and uh, James Bond Jr. for the NES because that needed to come out on the NES, too, I guess. Clearly, clearly. Yeah. God, that must be. That, that has got to be even worse than the Super Nintendo version, right? For as brief as that show was, they sure tried to make a merchandising juggernaut out of it. Because um, I didn't even know that they had an NES game as well. I thought they just had the Super NES game. Uh, they were clearly trying to to make hay while the sun shone with that one, even though it didn't really take uh, as far as I can understand it. So, yeah. Yeah, I don't think it did. Um, yeah, a lot of toys. Also, that cartoon featured a lot of American voice actors trying to do British accents. Oh, not great. Not as problematic as, say, you know, like uh, a white rapper trying to do reggae. No. Uh, and then we also get Might and Magic on NES, which I, I believe we'll be covering a Might and Magic game on the Super Nintendo at some point. So we can talk more about that then. Then we get our Star Fox comic and... You know, this one is maybe appropriately titled The Thrill is Gone. Yeah, I think that's that's probably the best title this one could have had, because I was not thrilled by this comic. 
And I feel like I my enthusiasm for it that I had after the first uh, the first installment is pretty much dissipated at this point. I wouldn't say it's dissipated, but I definitely feel like, as you said when we sort of opened the episode, that Nintendo has really stretched how much mileage they can get out of the Star Fox thing. And, and I feel like that's starting to show even in the comic. We start off where we, we left off last time, where uh, Fox and Farah are under attack during a what they thought was going to be uh, just a routine flight exercise, I believe. They are fighting folks. There's explosions happening. I will say one thing that I really love about this comic is that we get a few panels where there's a very limited use of color. Like on page 51, there's a panel where we see some enemy toads, I guess, in their in their spacecraft a- aircraft where it's just shades of purple and yellow. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And uh, just with a lot of line work um, doing a lot of the, the shading in that panel, it's really cool. I love panels like that. The ones where they just go full color are sometimes not as impressive as those though. I do really like their explosions and there are quite a few of them in this one. Oh yeah, there are. And yeah, there's there's some really good individual panels here actually. We were kind of talking about this a little bit before we started recording. So, I'm guessing that the artist for this, uh who is actually his name is on the the first page of the comic, Benimaru Ito, uh probably a manga artist and yeah, I have to imagine that the panels that use sort of more limited color palettes are kind of getting at what this would look like a little bit more as like a black and white manga, which is like kind of the more common thing for manga. And I I feel like those look better. They look really nice. And yeah, the colors just, they don't really, the, the, the full color uh, images don't really do it for me quite as well, but this comic opens with a roll call almost where we get these portraits of a lot of the characters kind of done in this very soft style. uh, That's, you know, full color. I really, like that but honestly like the entire rest of the comic could have been done in that really limited color palette where they just choose a different color in each panel and i think it would have been really striking but i will say like i think that the artist uh benimaru ito is doing like all of the writing all of the art i'm guessing all of the colors as well which is unusual for an american comic even around this time where you would have had like individual writers and you know, like a penciler, an inker. And a colorist, yeah. Yeah, all these responsibilities would have been handed off to different people. So for one person to do all of this is really, really impressive. So when we say, you know, like, we're not as enthralled with some of the art in this, that is with the caveat that, like, this is still really impressive that one guy pulled all of this off. um, It is amazing in that regard. Absolutely. And, and yeah, uh, you know, and I think that especially if you compare it to the art that shows up throughout the rest of this issue of Nintendo Power, it is leaps and bounds beyond that. So, oh, yeah, definitely. Um, but again, like on page 52, we've got a couple of panels with Fox and Farah um, just, you know, done in very limited colors. There's one like with the, a lot of really dark reds and blacks where, where Farah is getting ready to sort of eject her, her cockpit from the aircraft after uh, taking a few hits. Really cool looking. Uh, there's another one with Farah where she's like in all orange with the cyan highlights. That's really cool. And, you know, I even I even kind of like the banter between Fox and Farah here, even though, you know, like I, w- I was kind of worried that like the romantic thing was going to bog down the book. But I actually think that, you know, their banter as, you know, like things even start getting dire and they're still kind of keeping this lighthearted, 
you know, like as as far as about to eject, she's like, okay, I hope you brought your catcher's mitt. I, I, it is all kind of cute. And, you know, and, and, you know, keeping in mind that this is mostly a comic book for kids, I, I think that that is well done. Yeah, um, definitely. I just think that the overall plot is maybe getting a bit, well, is, is starting to plot a bit here. I, I think the mistake they made here is deciding to actually go into depicting what you do in Star Fox, the game, instead of just keeping this as sort of like a prequel to those events. Because, like, you know, basically we do get the sort of resolution of the whole thing with Fox and Farah getting into, you know, a, a dogfight with the, you know, enemy forces. They fight the first boss from the game, which actually looks pretty cool here. And then we very quickly transition to just like a kind of a recap of Star Fox going off and doing the stuff that you do in the game. It's like, yep. And then they went to this planet and this planet and this planet. They fought all these different things. We're not really going to show you those, but you know, they did that. Yeah. They were kind of like, you know, like here, here's four panels in which most of Star Fox happens. And also, uh, a uh, kind of uncomfortable fat joke that's in there for no reason at all. Yep, don't love that. Don't love that. And then at the end of the comic, and of course, also uh, not great thing, Farah uh, getting you know her ship taken away, getting it getting it blown up by the enemy means that she is just kind of hanging out at the base. Yeah. Uh, while Star Fox goes off and does their thing. I was worried that after she ejected, she was going to get captured and end up being a damsel in distress for the rest of the book. So at least they didn't do that. I guess this is better than that. But then, yeah, then at the end of the comic, uh, Andros, giant monkey head Andros, appears at the, the Cornarian Command Center, breaks the big window, and he, uh, he shows up to to threaten them yeah it's it's kind of a strange thing i guess this is meant to convey that like oh andros has this weird weapon that means we can't get too close to him on venom because he would just knock the r wings out of space uh, essentially so yeah this is the dilemma is that you know they have to figure out how they're going to even approach the planet venom where andros is without being shot down and that is when fox has the brilliant idea will go through the black hole. I love that final image of of him in front of the black hole. It is a really good I would I would get that like blown up and framed or something. Like it's a really good piece of art. It, it is very good. Like the way that like Farah and Fox are like half embracing each other here. Everybody else is just kind of like in blue in the background. It it is a very very good panel. It's uh it's very highly detailed as even compared to a lot of the other stuff in in the comic. Like there's a lot of really good sort of like almost like you know chiaroscuro shading on them and everything and yeah it's just a really neat image and it does actually make me excited for what i presume will be the last issue of this next time with the previous year they basically had like mario and zelda comics running throughout the entire year so there were 12 you know issues if you want to call it that of, of each one so maybe maybe this is just the beginning and actually that makes me feel feel more fondly about this because if this was just like okay now we're just going to kind of button this thing up really fast uh go by star fox people uh but you know if 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 it's not that if it's actually like here's the next stepping the stepping stone to more adventures for, with these characters i'm i'm more curious to see where that goes then Uh, now moving on, we have Kid Dracula, which is a weird 
kind of comical spin-off of Castlevania? It's it's a little bit like what if you cross Castlevania with like a Mega Man game, basically. It's pretty good, actually. I have not. I, I believe that the preview here is for the Game Boy version, which uh, it was the only one that came out in in the U.S. Actually, there was also an NES version that didn't come out here. This is a pretty fun, pretty you know, charming game. Uh, once again, not fantastic art in the the preview here, but it's a little better than it's a little more on brand than some of the stuff we've seen so far. Yeah, I feel like this is definitely a better representation of the style that the game is going for than, say, like Congo's Caper was. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Then we get uh, Joe and Mac, which is also uh, being ported to Game Boy. You know, it's one of those things where it's like, oh, hey, that looks good for a Game Boy game. But also, like, it, I wonder how that actually plays on the Game Boy, because one thing about Joe and Mac is that they did have those pretty big sprites for you know, the, the Super NES, you know, for, for what the resolution on the Super NES screen is. Yeah, it's a pretty fast game for, for that kind of game as well, which Game Boy was often not great at that. Yeah, so I could say, like, a combination of that and just, you know, trying to put these characters that are maybe a little bit too big for the Game Boy resolution screen in the mix, like, I, I could see that maybe not playing well. We'll never know because this is not Game Boy Scapades. Nope. This is Sinescapade, so we're probably not going to play that. What if when we got to the release of the Super Game Boy, we took a detour and just played through every single Game Boy game via the Super Game Boy before continuing on? That, that would take years. We would die. Yeah, yeah. We're not going to do that. No. I mean, look, folks, we live in America. The life expectancy is is continuing to drop as we speak because of how horrible everything is here. So I cannot guarantee we would last long enough to get through the entire Game Boy library at this point. And also, I'm not going to play 80 Sokoban games. <laughs> yeah, we will. Uh, we will leave that to Jeremy Parrish. He's got he, he is a glutton for punishment in a way that I am not. So. That that is that is your field, uh, Big Papa Parish. We are not going to tread upon that. No, thank you. Uh, anyway, then we got a uh, top rank tennis. Tennis, anyone? Maybe like some of the best looking art that isn't Star Fox in this game in this magazine so far. Honestly, actually true. Yeah, they look like people. There's some good anatomy on them. Uh, a few different poses. I will say, like some of these people in the in this art look like they are about like two seconds away from lowering the racket and turning towards the camera and you know like it's a sitcom intro oh yeah yeah that's true that's true um and yeah it's, it's kind of strange that they did this ultra realistic art for um like a game boy tennis game uh it doesn't really make me terribly excited for it but it does mention that you can use the link cable to play against other people and that's pretty cool always a thing you like to see with game boy and uh, it's tennis. And then after that, um, we have chess. We have a uh, chess master for Game Boy. And so we talked about chess master a long time ago because that came out very early on in the Super Nintendo's lifespan. But yeah, that was a franchise that spanned a lot of different systems over many years. And uh, it, it's interesting to see this on Game Boy. I, I wonder how good the computer could have been on a Game Boy version of this. I was curious about that, too. I don't know. This claims it's still a, a good uh, computer opponent, but uh, who can say, really? I mean, it's an Nintendo power. They're not going to say, like, look, the computer AI on this garbage, absolute garbage. Don't don't buy this. No, they're definitely not. Yeah, they're definitely not going to say that.
uh, got Counselor's Corner with uh, some gameplay counselors talking about how to do some stuff in Krusty's Funhouse and Out of This World. Which I have to admit, the bits of Out of This World that they get that they are answering are actually things I needed to Google when I was playing that game. So, you know, hey, these these are the questions people will have. How do you get past the grenade rolling guard? Well, here's how. All right. Yep, now we know. Thank you very much, uh, Tim Tin Tin Chan. Uh, we also got Might and Magic again, uh, making a double appearance here in Counselor's Corner and Classified Information. And then we got King's Quest Five. Um, I don't know if there's any King's Quest games on the SNES. I don't know either. I think those may have just been like purely on PC by this point. I think they may have stopped trying to kind of branch out to to you know console systems by this point in the 90s so there you go then we got uh power players challenge we've got uh challenges for legend of zelda link to the past can you make it i guess without losing any lives is that what that's meant to i mean it says can you complete the game in under 10 lives i'm not really sure given that that game doesn't have like a lives counter how they are supposed how they are they're are counting that but you know yeah, well, so, like, on the other page, it says, like, finish the game with the least number of lives, and it's got, like, zero, zero, zeros. So, I'm, I'm get, like, did the game have, like, a um, like a death counter to, like, record how many times you died throughout the, the quest? I don't know. Maybe, maybe there's something like that that shows up, like, at the end after you beat the game, but I don't remember. Yeah. Um, neither do I. So, hmm. Interesting. Um, but we also get some stuff for Yoshi, which was a puzzle game. Um, they did a lot of puzzle games, and we'll we'll talk a little bit more about that, uh, featuring Mario and his friends. One thing that caught my eye was uh, best time trial on Mario Circuit 1. Yes. Pretty impressive looking times there. We've got uh, Justin Feller of Grove City, Ohio, with the best time listed here at a minute and six seconds. So... I did a little bit of investigating here to find out if that time still stands, that record still stands. Does it? It does not. What what have the speedrunners gotten it down to at this point? So according to Mario Kart World Records, which is uh, mkworldrecords.fandom.com, the world record for that course currently stands at 55 seconds, so, or uh, 5597. So under a minute. That's really impressive. Um, I didn't do the same thing with uh, Mario Kart or I mean, sorry, Dr. Mario. I have no idea if uh, that's still a, a good record. I'm going to guess that somebody has shattered that. That probably. Yeah, probably. There are scores in the millions for that game at this point. Uh, next up, we got DuckTales 2 on the NES and a uh, game that did not come out on the S Super Nintendo. Pretty impressive how late Capcom was still supporting the original NES with some real big games, follow ups to some real um, heavy hitters for them. Uh, DuckTales 2 is one of them. I don't think I've ever played DuckTales 2. I don't know how it um, fares in comparison to the original. I know the original is a classic. I mean, my understanding is that DuckTales 2 is one of those sequels where like, it's fine, but it's just not quite as good as the original. And it's basically just more of the same game. Yeah. But I've never played it either. So I don't know. You know, if, if there's a company that's going to be like, hey, we're going to give you more of the same. It's going to be Capcom. Yeah. Which is not always a bad thing, but, you know, you do sometimes get to a point where it's like, ah, it's it's diminishing returns now because it's like, ah, how many times can I play this exact same game? 
in a you know with a different configuration but right yeah this is uh interesting though because yeah i i don't know why but ducktales 2 for the nes probably just because i was all in on like the 16-bit systems at this point didn't even know it existed until years later <laughs> yeah and i think that because this one came out so late too this might be a, a more rare cart i think you're right yeah i'm not entirely sure about that but wouldn't surprise me anyway. But yeah, we got some Disney key art here. It definitely just looks like they got given some pictures of Scrooge McDuck and Launchpad from Disney, and they pasted them around the shots of the game here. Nothing too much to say about it other than that. Then we have a feature about uh, Koei and all of their um, historical or historical themed strategy games. Yep. Moving right along, uh, uh, no, no. We don't have much to say about this, really, but I do think this is actually one of, like, the better the better articles in the magazine, even though I'm pretty sure that the point of it is that they are, the people at Nintendo Power are aware that the Koei games are complex and alienating, so they kind of want to walk you through, like, what the flow of gameplay in these games is supposed to be like, to kind of maybe be like, see, you can understand this and have fun, please go buy these games. I've played these games, so I don't have any real desire to go back and do them again, but I think if I hadn't, maybe I would be intrigued by this, maybe going in with this kind of mindset about what you're supposed to be kind of focusing on and how to play out one of these games might have helped a little bit. Yeah, but I, I do notice that they are very focused just on the historical games here. Like, they don't mention Gemfire at all, uh, even though it's exactly the same kind of game as these. But yeah, uh, it's all right. I don't have much to say about this, but I do respect the effort for trying. And hey, there's a there's a sailor guy. Yes. There, he's pretty well drawn he's pretty well that's, drawn that's yeah decent art right there yeah um yeah i don't have much to say about that one either you know i, I think y'all know how, how we <laughs> kind of feel about the, those yeah. strategy yeah. games. yeah uh moving right along so i was talking about um puzzle games featuring mario and his friends and this is another one of those this is yoshi's cookies we kind of had dr mario we had yoshi and now we got yoshi's cookie um this game from what i remember of it i think you're supposed to be like clearing lines either vertically or horizontally or maybe you have to do both at the same time i'm not sure uh it's been a very long time i don't know i never i've never played this one yeah yeah it did not hold my attention as long as dr mario did this one is going to get a super nes port i believe uh at least one is advertised later on got a good good picture of yoki yoshi doing a big blow you know grabbing uh grabbing a cookie with his tongue here and uh oh this is making me hungry now i want some cookies mm, yeah uh, making me less hungry is uh, the picture of Kid Clown uh, adorning the uh, the front page of the next feature. Oh, God. I can't even say that's bad art for that game. It's just horrible looking. Yeah, so Kid Clown is sort of a, a semi-mascot character for Chemco, which is the company behind things like Crazy Castle. In fact, he did get one of his own Crazy Castles when I guess they finally ran out of other characters to map onto one of those games. <laughs> um, Chemco's Kid Clown. Ooh, that's not going to be good. Oh, God, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, it's just the uh, the crusty comedy classic all over again. <laughs> live, live at the <laughs> Apollo. <laughs> You know, I have passed by signs where, like, they've literally had, you know, like, the initialisms have been that or, like, you know, something with, like, two words that both begin with S. And I'm just kind of like, it's like, did, did you maybe not put a whole lot of thought into that? Like, like, could you not? Yeah. 
Or, or did you put a lot of thought into that? And, and now I'm even more uncomfortable. Yeah, that's the more concerning thing. Like, I'm, I'm really confident that the people who came up with Kid Clown did not even consider this as a concern. Well, I, and, and I mean, to be fair, I don't think there ever was a game that was just called Chemco's Kid Clown or anything like that, at least not to my knowledge. No, but, I, I think you're right. And, and we will be playing a Kid Clown game at some point on the SNES. I don't think it's like a, a platformer like this, and I also don't think it's the Crazy Castle game. I think in a past episode I said we would be playing a, a Crazy Castle game on the SNES, and I thought it was the one that starred Kid Clown, but actually I don't think there is one. I think those were pretty much consigned to the Game Boy at this point. Yeah, yeah. Once the NES sort of went by the wayside, I think it was all just Game Boy for those. And and, and again, they would just take whatever franchise they could get, I, I imagine, on the cheap and just. Yeah, I mean, that was sort of that was sort of the thing, right? Yep. This is this is Bugs Bunny's Crazy Castle up. Oh, can't get him anymore. So this is Woody Woodpecker's Crazy Castle. Popeye's Crazy Castle, uh, and then when they finally ran out of all of them, it's just Kid Clown's Crazy Castle. This game does not look great to me. Like, it looks like a pretty generic platformer. Maybe it's really good. I don't know. It's it's Kid Clown in Nightmare World. Yes, Nightmare spelled like, like the mayor of a city, which is, you know, okay, Nightmare, that's kind of clever. All right. I would want to know, like, what who who is that character? What does he look like? Yeah, it's weird they don't have a picture of him in the in here. They just have Kid Clown and his clown family. But uh, yeah, I'm sure we will learn more about Kid Clown when we get to his Super Nintendo game. Um, I'm sure we will. Players poll. Fall in line at Camp Rollerblade. That's right. That's the grand prize. For the players' poll contest, uh, Thrash with inline skating's top pros at the exclusive four-day rollerblade camp. Eat ramps, skatehead. Rage on the ramps with Team Rollerblade. Score your own. Eat ramps. Score your own rollerblade lightning TRS inline skates and a complete set of protective gear. Eat ramp sounds like one of those phrases that you'd get some really weird stuff if you were to type that into Pornhub. Oh, God, I don't want to know. I do not want to go anywhere near that. Where is Camp Rollerblade? Does it tell us? It does not say. There's no information about that. Maybe it's in the fine print somewhere. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's official contest rules down at the bottom of the next page, and I'm sure it's in there. Yeah, I'm not sure where Camp Rollerblade would have been. I don't know, like, what exactly it was. It seems like one of those things that would have just popped up a lot in the 90s, like, you know, like the way McDojos did, you know, where, like, everybody's all suddenly got a dojo popping up over here. I don't know. I mean, I really did enjoy rollerblading back in the day. That was a fun thing that I wish was more of a thing still. You see people around here with rollerblades occasionally, I feel like. But, uh, yeah, and I always found it a lot more fun and a lot easier to do than than traditional roller skating, personally. I definitely found it easier to do than, like, skateboarding, which sort of took over. Never even really tried that much. I got on a skateboard a couple of times, and I was like, nope, I will die if I keep doing this. But yeah, Camp Rollerblade. I wonder if we'll see a, a defunct land video dedicated to that. Ooh, that'd be cool. We need to we need to get in touch with them. It's like, hey, have you considered this weird piece of pop culture ephemera? All right, we got the top 20 uh, for... Uh... Nintendo Power, which I'm still not entirely sure where these numbers come from, but I'm guessing mostly the players' polls. Not too much change from the last few weeks, I th last couple months, I think. 
Yeah, Street Fighter 2 is still on top, which, I mean, you know, you can understand why they were trying to get people to branch out into other fighting games. But, I mean, you know, again, there's always this thing in, in the business world where, like, oh, hey, everybody's gravitating towards this. This must mean that this particular thing is popular. It's like, no, that particular thing is really, really well made. Right. You know, it's not like oh, hey, suddenly everybody discovered fighting games are a thing and everybody needed to play a fighting game. It's like this was a really, really, really well-made fighting game that was a lot of fun. So, yeah, one fighting game blows up, so everybody's got to make a fighting game. And uh, I guess we will be talking about quite a few of them this month. You miss every shot you don't take, I guess. So, you know, maybe, you know, maybe some of them will be great. We'll see. Final Fantasy, original Final Fantasy on the NES is still number five there. Yes, uh, hanging in there, uh, you know. Good for it. Then we get to Now Playing for April 1993. We got a mix of games, some of, the, some of which we have already covered, like Sim Earth uh, and Star Fox. Some that we haven't yet covered, like Congo's Caper and Grand uh, Battle Grand Prix. Yep, not sure what that is yet. I'm guessing some kind of racing game. Looks like a, a top-down racing game. Uh, you know, we do have the normal mix of of, you know, kind of repeating talking points from earlier in the magazine and being actually kind of a little bit honest about the faults of these games here. Always kind of interesting to see kind of where the line is for that, for what they're actually willing to, what they're actually willing to say is not so great about these games. Well, like one one thing that I think is interesting, you know, you get like uh, Congo's Caper. The game doesn't really do anything that Super Mario World and countless other games have done just as well. Like, yeah, that's a big problem for a lot of games. Like, a lot of games are going to be coming out and are just already going to be in the shadow of really, really good entries in that genre that they just don't quite measure up to. And I mean, you know, that's something you could, you know, like Doomsday Warrior, they probably say the exact same thing. Um, oh, never mind. Boring backgrounds and inappropriate music add to the yawn factor. I do think that they have a kind of bad one here for Pocky and Rocky, which I haven't played the game, but their downside for it is the theme of the game is too simple and strange to add any value to the play. And it's like, what does that even mean? I'm going to say that means I don't understand Japanese stuff and it frightens me. (laughs) Yeah, actually, I think you're right. Yeah. They also have Cool World here, which we covered a while back. Yes. You know, which I'm actually like uh, pretty on board with their positive and negative here. Uh, Their positive is rich, imaginative graphics and a great musical score. I actually don't remember the music all that well. Me either, but the graphics were cool. The action in Cool World is confusing. Goals are unclear and play control is awkward. And uh, yeah, I would agree with all of that. Yes, indeed. Oh, here we go. Fatal Fury. Uh, The downside music sounds like something for an 8-bit system. Um, whatever this game does, Street Fighter 2 does it better. It's tough when you're trying to use your magazine to sell things and you're intensely aware that you're trying to get people to be excited about something that's less good than a thing that's already out. It props to them for just straight up saying that. <laughs> you know, I guess all the honesty didn't have to die with uh, with uh, Rob and George. Is that their names? I keep forgetting their names now. George, George and Rob, I think, was the name of the section. But yeah, one thing I do want to note here, just uh, not not about the actual reviews themselves, but if you look at the the chart that shows all of the games from this week or from this month and, uh, you know, their scores, it's really striking how much the Super Nintendo has overtaken the other systems in the amount of games coming out for it. Oh, yeah. And that's going to be even more emphasized when we get to the coming soon section. Um, And speaking of which, we've got the Pack Watch. Uh, We've got 
Arrow the Acrobat, pretty big section on Arrow the Acrobat there. Yep, trying to pump him up, trying to to put him in the same caliber as uh, mascots like Mario and Mega Man. Uh, they do also mention Bubsy here, though, so you know, <sighs> we'll uh, we'll see how that goes when the when the game actually comes out. Uh, Super Turrican, which I I believe that game's got kind of an interesting history. Yoshi's Cookie for the SNES, which we talked about. The entry for that here, which is specifically for the Super Nintendo version, uh, name drops Alexei Pachetnov specifically as having come up with a bunch of new levels for it. It does not specifically mention that he's the creator of Tetris here, but I bet they've mentioned that at some point in the past. Uh, Final Fantasy Adventure 2, which uh, you said that is going to end up becoming secret of mana yeah that one will eventually release under the title secret of mana and they actually do mention here that the title of the game is not the title they have it listed under is not final but yeah i couldn't figure out 100 percent at first what this game which which game this was because i know that there was never a thing called final fantasy adventure 2 that came out here but uh, yeah, the original game that Secret of Mana was a sequel to did come out in America for the Game Boy as Final Fantasy Adventure. And looking at this, uh, these screenshots here are definitely screenshots from Secret of Mana. Uh, I guess that'll be coming at like the end of the year. So it's a little ways out. Um, we've also got Evo in there, which I do not know a whole lot about, but that's a, an NX game. That'll be interesting. Um, one thing we will not actually see is Civilian. C I'm guessing that's maybe how... Civilian? Civilian? I mean, civilian makes the most sense as a way to say it, I guess. I mean, that's an actual word, even if they're spelling it all weird. But um, yeah, so they're doing this is a preview for this game, which is a port of an arcade game by Taito from 1988. Uh, this actually will not come out over here. This came out in Japan and it came out in PAL regions. But the SNES port of civilian did not make it uh, stateside. It happens sometimes. I should say was not the first time that that's happened and will not be the last. Uh, oh, hey, Jimmy Connors Pro Tour Tennis for... Uh... Uh, for Game Boy this time. Probably not better than the version that we played for the Super Nintendo. Yeah, that was the one with the good jacket, right? Or was that a different one? That, I think that was the one with okay. the good jacket. Yeah. I can never remember. It's hard keeping them straight anymore. Uh, anyway, so uh, yeah, then we just got a whole bunch of stuff here. Uh, big old pack watch update. We got some... Rather interesting things like uh, Legends of the Ring, which has a really distinct graphical style to it. That's a boxing game. That ought to be interesting when we get to that. Uh, I do believe that came out here under some name. I think it might have been Legends of the Ring, but I'm not entirely sure. Uh, we got Kendo Rage, which uh, no, we have not covered yet. We covered Super Valus 4. Kendo Rage is a different thing. Yeah, and they actually mention here that Kendo Rage may look like Super Valus 4, but it's better. Oh, good. <laughs> they basically straight up say that here. A variety of moves is greatly improved over Super Valus 4, and you have a two-player simultaneous mode. And we've also got Claymates down there, which I, we, we played back for the old YouTube version, which, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, quite like, we, we liked that okay, I think, at the time. Yep, and then we got a whole bunch of games coming out for the Super NES, and then very, very tiny sections for the Game Boy and NES. Kind of surprising seeing how few things were being pushed by Nintendo Power for the Game Boy. I don't know if there were actually that few releases, or... If that's just what they chose to highlight here, yeah. Kind of looking through the list, seeing if there's anything that I, I know did not end up coming out, but uh, nothing strikes me. We've got... Um, 
Busyland, which I think is the kid clown game for the Super Nintendo, actually. Railroad Tycoon, I believe that one did not come out, and I, I think we talked about that before. Yeah. But hey, there's some good good looking stuff coming up here. They've got uh the Goof Troop game, there's uh the American Gladiators game, Final Fight 2, The Lost Vikings is on here, uh as coming out sometime soon. So yeah. Yeah, and speaking of the Lost Vikings, that one's gonna be featured in the next issue we see here, uh, along with uh uh Batman Returns, I think it's gonna be on the cover. So that should be exciting. I think things are going to pick up this month. I, I think we've got some pretty cool stuff on the docket that is going to be a lot more interesting than most of what uh, 1993 has thrown at us thus far. Um, one final thing this this magazine has is some Mario Paint contest winners, which got relegated to like the back cover in this really small. I, I know you can barely see them at this point. Yeah, this is real disappointing to me because some of these look interesting and I would have really liked to have seen these blown up. There's a one that looks like a really good rendering of the Batmobile in Mario Paint. There's um, well, I think it's a yellow Lamborghini, uh, an interesting one that looks like a. Um, like a writing desk with a, a cup and a pen and, and like a a detailed photograph, maybe, of, of a house. It's really cool art. Some of this is really neat. I'm disappointed that Nintendo didn't see fit to give us some, some larger images of these. I know there's a really good Spider-Man there as well. Like, yeah, really nice looking stuff. So, yeah, it's kind of a shame that they sort of pushed it off to, to these little thumbnails at this point. Yeah, I mean, back then, you couldn't really preserve these things all that well, except just by taking a picture of your TV screen or recording it on a VHS or whatever. So, I mean, these works were kind of ephemeral in a way. And for people to put this much work into it and submit it to Nintendo Power and just have it end up like this is kind of kind of not cool, guys. Yeah, that is definitely kind of a bummer. Yeah. For all the lackluster art they've had in this issue, they could have just been putting this <laughs> all over the place, just just in random spots instead of the art that we got. They didn't do it. I'm, I'm disappointed. Yeah, I'm with you there for sure. Hey, if um Frank Fitzgerald of New York, New York is listening to this, if you still have a picture of, of what you've got there, um, I would really like to see that blown up. That that looks cool to me. Yeah. And honestly, anybody who who submitted anything to this, I would I would really like to see more of that. Mm -hmm. But. Yeah. But yeah, so that's going to do it for this one. Uh, was there anything else you wanted to go back and talk about or we? No, no, I think I think we got it all. Uh, not my favorite issue of the magazine so far. It felt like they were just kind of kind of trying to get through this one, honestly. Yeah, <laughs> which I mean, yeah, I guess is kind of the way we felt about a lot of this past month. You know, some sometimes it happens. There was still some good stuff there. And I think they did really kind of give Star Fox its due in this one. So, you know, I'm excited to see what the next issue focuses on now that that is sort of done with. All right. Well, I guess uh, that's going to do it for today. All that's left to do is to talk about what is coming up in the next episode. And I'm pretty excited. As I talked about last time, we are going to be covering American Gladiators, not going to say it's a good game, but I sure did love me some American Gladiators back in the day. Uh, we've also got Batman Returns, which is going to be the cover of the next issue. And I, I think that one's supposed to be a pretty competent brawler. I think so. I have played that, but not for a very long time. So we'll see how it got, uh, how it holds up. And then we also have, uh, oh, hey, I, there's uh, Battle Grand Prix. It is coming up in the next episode. Uh, I'm not 
I don't have my hopes set too high for that one, but we'll see. So that'll be great. We'll be back to doing our normal, regularly scheduled SNESCapades, uh, going through the Super Nintendo library, and we hope that, as always, you join us for it. And we'll see you then. Yeah, we'll see you in two weeks. Yeah, and until next time, I'm Any Zero. I'm Steampunk Link. Put down. <laughs> Play loud. Our intro-outro song is How Now Brown Cow by Technoaxe, who very generously offers a ton of great music for free and royalty-free at technoaxe.com. That's T-E-K-N-O-A-X-E dot com. Nobody remembers that. They remember Sideshow Bob stepping on, like, 30 rakes as he <laughs> tries to get up onto that boat. Yeah, and then that gets memed uh, with liver and onions. Right. Or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Liver and onions. Uh, oh, that's that's some <laughs> Sorry, mouth noises there. Those are good. Those are uh, impressive, Foley. I have to say. <laughs> Thank you. Liver and onions.